This will be repeated again, but it's worth remembering. It is possible to repent of wrongdoing without any faith in Jesus Christ, but it is not possible to have true faith in the Lord Jesus and not repent. Welcome everyone, this is The Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and its local missions fellowship, The Bread of Life, in Boise, Idaho. Go to breadoflifeboise.org to learn about both ministries. There you can also gain access to archives of this radio program and an archive of full-length sermons as well. I'm glad you've joined us. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and as we go to our study today, we ask the Spirit of God to open our hearts to His truth. There is a debate about whether persons must repent to become Christians or just believe, and I have an answer for you. To become a Christian, you must just believe, and if you really believe, you will repent. Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Let me read them to you. And now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip being tetrarch of Iturea in the region of Trachonitis, and Licinius tetrarch of Abilene, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, as is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. It is the issuing forth of God's message and God's messenger that comes to individuals at different point in time that actually makes that point in time important. It is the messengers of God and the chronicle of the messengers of God that God sends out that makes any age a high age or an important age. It's not powerful people and powerful men and the machinations of political power and effort and the war machines that men have constructed and the empires that men have built that ultimately is an expression or a picture or a portrait of what is important in any age. What's important in any age is the messengers that God sends to that age and God's judgment on any age is when God is silenced. The darkness of any age or that age that seems to be relatively irrelevant to history and the ongoing flow of God's purposes is in the age and that time in which God withholds his word and his voice from a people or a place. The thing that makes any kind of historical point important is it's the point where God speaks through an messenger. And so here you have in this passage related to us seven notable men who all are needed to point to the precise hour when God spoke by a prophet named John. You have a emperor, you have a governor, you have two tetrarchs, you have two high priests, and all these individuals are simply marking the time and the place in which God sent forward his message by one person with a rather generic name by the name of John. And that's the important thing. That's the thing that God takes note of. And any place. So I oftentimes think of men who have been involved in 
ministry and church ministry and God has given them a place to speak to a congregation and they find some favor with the people and they find some leverage among people and they have some influence and they decide to parlay that influence and go into politics. To me, it's always a demotion, a significant demotion from what God has done. It's the man who stands before people proclaiming the word of God who has wonderfully reached the high point of what God is doing in any age at any point. And the low point in any age at any point is when God is silent. That's the idea. And so here we have this message of John. And John has come and God is, God is declaring and something important is going to happen. This is an important age. This is an important time for Israel. And John comes with a message and we have relayed to us what his message is all about. His message is the introduction of a king that's coming. He says, prepare the way of the Lord. God himself is coming to reign as king. Prepare the way of the Lord. And there's a declaration that God is bringing with him salvation to all people. This is not simply a kingdom for the Jewish people. This is a kingdom for all people. All flesh shall see the salvation of God. This is ultimately a declaration, as we know now, of the coming of Jesus Christ. Because he is the coming king, and he is the coming savior. He is the embodiment of the kingdom. He brings the kingdom of God near because he's the king himself. He brings salvation near because he is salvation himself. He provides it for all individuals and he'll provide it as he goes to the cross and dies for their sin and rises again from the grave. And he applies that salvation to all who will turn to him in faith. And it's this turning to him in faith that becomes the application and the primary point of John's message and what we're going to consider this morning. This turning in faith that's given to us in this wonderful word picture in this text. We're told that John came calling for or delivering to the people a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That is that John was calling those in the age in which he spoke that they were to turn from their sins and they were to look to the coming king and savior in order that they might receive forgiveness and cleansing from him. And their baptism was to be expression of this deep desire and longing in them to be made clean and made right for the coming of this king. We have a bit of a conundrum when we consider this passage and we consider the words of John. Some individuals think that John's word was only spoken just briefly for people that had an opportunity to embrace the Messiah that was coming in Jesus Christ, but that it was not a gospel message because John's message was repent and believe. And there are some that teach that there's nothing that is required for us to find salvation from Jesus Christ, but simply to believe. Repentance doesn't have to be a part of it, just faith has to be a part of it. And they'll quote verses like, the just shall live by faith, or that for by grace have you been saved through faith, or if we confess with our mouths and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, we shall be saved. And you see there, it's just faith, and there's nothing about repentance there, but they have to ignore that John's message was a message of repent and believe, and that the Lord Jesus came after John, and we're told that Jesus' message that he preached throughout Israel was repent and believe, and that when he assigned a message to his disciples, and they went out two by two, their message was repent and believe, that even when Peter and Paul later described the essence of their message, when they describe it in the epistles, it was a, a message of repentance of sins and faith towards God, of repent and believe. I think there's an answer to this problem, this idea that, well, we just need faith and we don't need to repent. And I, I think we can solve this problem by pointing out that saving faith encompasses within it the idea of repentance and the action of repenting. It's possible to repent and yet not to do it in faith. It's possible to repent and yet not do it in faith, but it is impossible to have faith and not repent. 
it's impossible not to believe in something that is diametrically opposed to where you're heading and what you've been believing and what you've been living for and not turn to it and not turn away from the thing that you've been living for and believing in and trusting in. A person can repent and not have faith, but he can't have faith without repenting. An example of that would be Judas. Judas betrayed the Lord Jesus, and then after he betrayed the Lord Jesus, we read that Judas repented. He was deeply remorseful for what he had done. He took the prop that he made and he cast it before the Sanhedrin and wouldn't receive it. He declared to him, I have betrayed innocent blood. And then, because he didn't have faith in his repentance, he went out and hung himself. There wasn't a turn towards God. It wasn't a repentance that was born out from him because of faith or hope or trust in something that God was going to provide for him. It was just a lament or a deep, profound regret. It was a sentence against himself, but it wasn't a sentence of hope. It wasn't an act of faith. But then there was Peter. Peter thought they had betrayed the Lord Jesus as well, and he went out when he denied Christ three times, and he wept deeply, but in his weeping and in his brokenness, there must have been something in Peter that was turning in faith towards God. A belief, according to the words that Jesus himself had taught, that God had come to rescue and deliver not the righteous, but sinners and to grant them the kingdom, and to forgive them. And so, when Peter heard that the grave was empty, and that Jesus' body was not there, and that there was a word that he had risen from the dead, Peter ran to that gravesite, and Peter ultimately met the Lord Jesus, and received from the Lord Jesus the full expression of forgiveness, because his repentance was a repentance of faith. True faith always produces a repentance that turns from sin to lay hold of the object of its faith. And so John's message calling people to repentance was really a message calling for faith. It was a repentance produced by faith. They turned from and they turned to. When, when you became a Christian or if you become a Christian or when a person becomes a Christian, they only can do that by way of repentance and faith or I should say by way of a faith that repents. And then we begin living the Christian life in that exact same way. That faith that made us turn from our sin and our selfishness and our own efforts to save ourselves to Christ keeps us turning from sin and selfishness and our own effort to prove ourselves to Christ so that we're constantly turning to Him. And so in reality, a Christian is not only a believer, a Christian is a repenter too because that's the kind of belief they have. A belief that compels them to turn away from themselves and turn to God. In verse 5 of our passage, what we have here is a description of what that kind of faith looks like as it expresses itself in repentance. It's faith through the eyes of repentance that we see here. And we'll see that the very thing that's being called upon, the very thing that people are being asked to do in repentance is beyond them. And yet they're to exercise themselves in this act, in this act of repentance, because they believe that there's an answer from God for their sins. And so let's look at this wonderful picture, this word picture. It says there, every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill brought low and the crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places or ways made smooth and then all flesh shall see the salvation of God. As we said, a wonderful word picture of faith producing repentance. It's a wonderful word picture also of the salvation that the Lord Jesus brings to those who believe in him and turn to him and when we trust in that salvation we are able to repent and as we repent we demonstrate that we've trusted in that salvation we're believing the Lord for that salvation let me explain this to you I think these are four things to be believed 
But in the believing, there are four things to be repented of. And let's talk about the things to be repented of first. Here's what we see. Every valley shall be filled. We're to repent of sin. The sin that has somehow cut deep grooves in our lives. The people of John's day knew what deep valleys were like. Jerusalem stood 2,600 feet above sea level. And from there, the people would make their way down. We're told that the people began to make their way. All of Jerusalem and Judea began to make their way down to the Jordan where John was preaching and So they would have been descending further and further and further down into the great chasm or the great valley that lay below Jerusalem. As they moved down, they would go all the way down to the Jordan River, which was another 600 feet below sea level where they would see John. And then from that point, they could know that that Jordan River would flow down to another 1,300 feet below sea level before it hit the Dead Sea. So the people knew something of this, 4,000 feet below Jerusalem. So as the people were going out to hear John in Jerusalem, they were consciously aware all the way down to the Jordan that they were going down, down, down to the Jordan to hear a message. And when they arrived where John was, he confronted them with their sins. And he told them of the deep, dark valley of their sin. And he told them that that sin had to be filled up. They had to repent and they had to begin filling up the valley of sin in their life. There are in all of our lives dark depths of selfishness and pursuit for personal domination and deceit and lust and covetousness and pride and all these things run through our lives. Thanks for listening to The Bread of Life, a ministry of church partnership evangelism and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. I want to extend to you a welcome to join our worship every Sunday at 11 a.m. in the Old White Church at 1023 East State Street in the Warm Springs area of Boise. To learn more, Go to breadoflifeboise.org and follow the links. Until the next time, may God bless you.